Hello, I'm John Ellis. Welcome to episode two of Pitodry PS, a new predominantly Dons-based podcast, featuring not just the Dons first team, but a look across the age groups and genders at the club. And not just the Dons, we'll cover the respective progress of Cove and Peterhead as well, and the Northeast local representatives in the Highland League and juniors, and not just football, but any sport making headlines in the Northeast of Scotland or featuring someone from the Northeast of Scotland. Joining me for this journey, as always, Dave McDermott and Andrew. Shiny. So here we are recording this episode on the morning of Tuesday, 17th of August. My kids have just returned to school and pro parent tip number one, you can quite happily sip a gin and tonic from one of those thermos mugs and toast them through the school gates. Remember, it only has to look like coffee. Coming up, we look ahead to European Conference League playoff action, plus a potentially tricky away league encounter at Tynecastle after a look back at a postscript on the week that was following a cup trip to face Wraith and a home win against Breedablik of Iceland. Uh, Andrew, let's, let's start and look back, furthest back in the week, because at least then I might have the stomach to carry on. And almost the full return of fans to Pitodri, barring a small part of the ground, because the UEFA rules for the area, the decree is the all-important red zone, are slightly more stringent. Uh, over 15,000, though, before we get your take on the match, just the atmosphere was something to witness, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? Great Um I had when I pick up the team sheets to, to distribute them from the press. Instead of going through the stand, I have to go out into Petardry Street and walk from one end of the stadium to the other to get in the, the press entrance gate. And it was great. Instead of walking up the street and there being nobody there at all, there were hordes of people coming down Petardry Street queuing at turnstiles, and it was a look of anticipation on their faces at probably their first game in almost 18 months, uh, and then to witness the noise that was generated, particularly from the Red Shed, that's an innovation that has worked really well for the club. And and they sort of lead the singing and the, the sort of fire out to all the, the stands, give us a song sort of thing. And to be fair, I think most of the stands, probably apart from the South, or the main rather, um, responded with a song of some sort. But um, it's, it's certainly... Um, created an atmosphere that the players reveled in. I think that actually the Icelandic players reveled in it because it was probably the biggest crowd that they'd played in front of, possibly ever. Um, and I thought they, they picked up on the, the vibe that was going around the ground and, and played really well. Uh, it's unfortunate that their manager had to come out and say what he had to say after the game. Um, when I believe he phoned a journalist after the match, didn't come through and speak to everyone, uh, but phoned a, a journalist and moaned about Scott Brown and Joe Lewis and stuff like that. But uh, some of his comments uh, left a bit of a, a sour taste. But as Stephen Glass said, his team did their talking on the pitch and got through, and that was the important thing. What did you make of the game itself, Dave? I thought Budablik uh, were actually better than certainly I was anticipating. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they scored the goal, it did... Uh, you know, you were wondering, well, if they get another one here, we could be in trouble. You know, again, it was down to creating chances and not, not taking them. But the main thing was to get through to the next round, which was objective achieved. And, uh, you know, it would have been so disappointing in front of that great atmosphere and a great crowd for the first time in so long if we hadn't progressed. But, uh, no, they, they weren't a bad side at all. 
Really well. Yeah, uh, Ryan Hedge is obviously a standout of the night with his two goals, but the introduction of Afunso Ojo and Conor McLennan at halftime seemed to just ignite the team in a, an attacking sense, didn't it, Andrew? Well, Afunso Ojo in particular, I mean, two minutes into the second half and his dancing feet and his determination not to let the centre-back just um, usher the ball behind for a goal kick uh, created the goal for uh, Ryan Hedges. And Afunso has been like a man possessed. Uh, when he's come off the bench... He wasn't quite as good on, on Sunday. We'll get back to that later. But um, on Thursday night against Breda Blick, uh, his uh, industry, uh, the pace of Conor McLennan, and then the finishing power of, of Ryan Hedges were the, the main differences between the two sides. And I think um, that second goal uh, highlighted how good a technical player Funso Ojo is. He took a throw in from Calvin Ramsey in a very tight area and he was right in front of me from where I was sitting in the main stand and shouted, Hedgy. And Hedges took off up the wing. He played it into him. Um, then, you know, when Bunso uh, continued the run, played the ball into the middle, we'll say it was a brilliant layoff by Christian Ramirez. I think it was a bad touch in all honesty, but who cares because <laughs> Hedges came onto it. And, and like Jets' goal on... Sunday, it was the first time shot from the edge of the area that flew into the back of the net. So, you know, football's a very simple game that is often made complicated by players. And it was the simplicity of that move, but the technical skills involved in it that made it a, a real highlight for me. I'm going to take you back to the to the term you just used. And I, I still sort of, you know, gasp or, or do a, a double take when anyone says things like the dancing feet of Funso Ojo. <laughs> He's just like, that's not the same player that arrived here. Uh, Dave, any, any issues with the goal that we give away as they crept back into it? Were you ever quite on the edge of your seat thinking this could be dangerous? Uh, not quite on the edge of my seat. I mean, it, 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 was, it was so important, the next goal after that. And, uh, you know, that as Andrew, I'm sure, and you both would agree that they were bad sides when they were knocking the ball about. Defensively, I don't think they were the greatest, but, uh, you know, as I say, they took their goal really well and it, it was a wee warning, which, you know, there, there aren't any easy games. We see it all the time, no easy games in Europe. Uh, but uh, it was a good one to, to get through. And I thought the the shenanigans with the managers actually just added to the spice, mm. you know, beforehand, during and then, of course, the afterwards as well. And, uh, you know, accusing Scott Brown of being a big bully was, you know, pretty pathetic. It's to be the obvious, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> All right, from handbags to quarter bag. Oh, come on, you missed that now. From handbags to quarter bag. Come on. Very good. Oh, yeah. You've been working on that one. <laughs> well, I, just, I just thought when you said it there. But I guess being a, a man of pleasing statistics, such as you are, Andrew, that you have got some on our opponents this coming week. Well, they're a decent side. Um, they've been in the group stages each of the last seven seasons, um, whether it be Europa League or Champions League. But they've never managed to progress beyond that. You look at Aberdeen over the last eight seasons, qualifying round three, we always got there. We couldn't progress beyond there. So it, it suggests two relatively evenly matched sides. Uh, I think Carabag, uh, when they were getting into Champions League, Playoffs. Obviously, they were bringing in a lot of money and they had a lot of Brazilians in their side. I'm looking at their squad now and I think there's only one Brazilian. But, you know, there's this aura that surrounds Brazilian football players. You think they're all going to be Pele. 
And quite often, we have seen sides come to Pataudry or we've travelled abroad and we've seen sides where there was a Brazilian or two in the team and you thought, aye, which part of Brazil did he come from? The non-football playing <laughs> part? Because they really weren't very good. So I don't yeah. think we can draw too much from that. But uh, they've only just started their league season. They, they look like they're a side that don't score a lot of goals, that don't concede a lot of goals. Uh, I think they scored three in the, the, the games that they've played in the Conference League so far, but they've only conceded one. Uh, so I think it's going to be a stuffy game. And uh, as I say, I don't think there'll be a massive difference between the relative strengths of the two squads. But the downside from an Aberdeen perspective is if Hayes and Hedges are missing, that's a major loss for the Dons. Mm. Yeah, we'll get on to that in a bit. And, and here's the funny thing, David. This is only my take on it. But if we can go there and, and take something from the game back to Pataudry, where the tie is still at the very least alive or better, and if we can qualify for the Conference League, it might just persuade the fans to gloss over in their minds the history of the match that we're about to review in the already quickly named Diddy Cup of season 21-22. Agree or disagree? Agree, totally. Um, you know, the... The League Cup has come and gone, unfortunately, and it is now the Diddy Cup officially. Um, but, uh, you know, as Stephen last made the, the point after the game last Thursday that uh, the important thing is to keep that tie alive because they've got all the travelling to do for the second leg. So, you know, it's uh, the boots on the other foot in terms of the preparation. It's not going to be easy in the heat. It's not going to be helpful for the Aberdeen and the humidity for the Aberdeen players on Thursday night. But, uh, you know, keep that tie alive and get the crowd. Again, it'll be a, a nice big crowd back at Petordi for the return leg, if that is the case. And uh, then we've every chance of creating history by getting through to the group stages. And let's get on to that one then, Andrew. Seven changes before the game with Wraith Rovers, uh, the game on Sunday. We're recording this on Tuesday, a 2-1 loss. Uh, speaking after that one, manager Stephen Glass. We were in control of the first half. Uh, we didn't start the second half particularly well. We allowed it, the atmosphere to become a cup-tie atmosphere. Uh, we allowed them to dictate the, the game, which we didn't in the first half. So I think, and then the goal happens pretty quick and the reaction of ourselves to, to be a threat and dominate the game again wasn't really there. So that's that's probably the biggest disappointment in terms of the, the football side of it. And from the opposition point of view, a delighted John McGlynn. Our goals teams games, eh? And we scored two minutes in the second half and it gives us a greater belief. I mean, I felt that we created the best two chances in the first half. You know, uh, Blaise Riley Snow had a chance at the near post and, and Darry had a very, very similar chance. And I felt that... We could easily take in that. I mean, the boy Jet hit his shot, you know, I couldn't hit any better, you know, but it came with very little. The Don's captain agrees that in the second half, at least, opportunities created were few and far between. You lose a goal and then we don't look comfortably on the ball and we've we just got to be honest with ourselves. You've got to take it on the chin. Uh, it's not us. It's not what we want to do. It's not how we want to play. Then we ended up playing long balls and... That, that's not what we want to do either. We want to play football, we want to get the ball down the deck and play the way we should be. That's what football's all about. And we're lucky enough, we've got a huge game coming on Thursday night and it could put us in a great place if we get a good result there. So we need to start focusing ourselves on Thursday night now. I, I know it's a hard one to take, you can't forget about that, but we'll go over it and we'll figure out how we're going to... Um, how we're going to go forward to be perfectly honest when teams want to play football but defend very deep as well so we need to obviously find out the holes find out how we can play through them and we need to create more chances because the second half didn't really create too many clear-cut chances Wraith's Dario Zanata not the North American you wanted speaking to the press afterwards as part of a winning side uh, says his team were drilled 
on the Jones. To be fair, we were we were well aware that Aberdeen usually starts second half quite well, uh, and they have recently in their European games and all that. So to get on that front foot, get their early goal, it really changes them. You know, it puts them on the back the back foot, back foot, and I think we pushed on from there. Well, the dust has had time to settle a little, so most of the combustible initial reactions have have happened. Uh, we're now into the acceptance stages of grief, and I say that without even a hint of a smirk on my face. But I did say to you last week, there's just this feeling as a Dons fan, and I don't know if it happens with other clubs. But certainly with ours, we were clinically conditioned there for a while. When you drew a so-called lesser opponent in the Cup, you knew it would be at the very least a sort of titanic struggle for us, if not an altogether embarrassing Cup exit. The Stenhouse Muirs, and well, I don't even want to do a list, but we all know I could do one. Uh, one, is there is this up there with that, Andrew? And two, how do you think fans will react to this one? Will there be blame apportioned, and if so, where? Thank you. There will be questions asked of the manager's decision to make seven changes. But he can say, well, look, I feel I've got a strong enough squad that no matter which of the start of the 20-odd players in my squad I choose as the starting 11, I feel they're good enough to go and win a game at Wraith Rovers. And for the first half of that game, it certainly looked as though that was the case. Once we'd scored the goal... Um, we dominated possession, albeit Wraith Rovers did have two good chances. Uh, Joe Lewis made a good save from the guy Riley Snow in the first half, and Dario Zanata fired one into the side netting when with a bit more composure he may have scored. Uh, but unfortunately, for all the possession that we had, as I mentioned earlier, I think Jamie McDonald didn't have a single save to make in the match. It was an excellent goal that was scored, Jack Gurr's cross, into the box, expertly laid into the path of Jet by Niall McGinn in the first time shot, a thing of absolute beauty. And you just felt, I mean, I've, I've been and witnessed so many of these upsets that um, you were talking about. You just felt, fine, let's go and get a second one and a third one. And, and then maybe we can sort of give some guys a wee 20 minutes here and there just to get some match action into their legs. It didn't work. And then the second half... Jack Gar had a little bit of a nightmare, it has to be said. He gave away the free kick, uh, fouling Zanata, that led to the opening goal. Tumulty's ball into the box. Uh, the guy, Ethan Varian, makes a good run off his defender, who was the defender, Jack Gar, and finds the back of the net. And then, just after the big three of Brown, Ferguson and Hedges had come on, Wraith Rovers breakthrough again. Again, it's Riley Snow who gets past... Uh, Lewis Ferguson too easily in the middle of the park for my liking gets a shot away Big Joe doesn't really parry it away to safety it sort of looped up and Jack Gar thought he had more time on his hands than he actually did to clear the ball Zanata on this occasion there had been one similar to it just earlier in the game but on this occasion he was quickly in on top of the defender nicked it past him and then fired an unstoppable shot into the net you did think there would be a reaction from Aberdeen after that, but it didn't happen. So I, th I think the fans will be very disappointed because, first of all, the Premier Sports Cup, to give it its official title, which I don't think anybody other than Premier Sports is doing. The BBC certainly aren't. Um, a, it was a trophy that could have been won by Aberdeen. If you win four games, you win that trophy. Now, that shouldn't be too difficult. Uh, but had we beaten Wraith Rovers, we'd have been going to Celtic Park. Or maybe we wouldn't because the numbers would have been different in the draw. 
But anyhow, that's who Wraith Rovers have got in the next round, and we wish them every success. Because to be fair to them, I thought they played some really good football. They tried to get it down at the back and play a passing brand of football. They don't just lump it forward to a big striker. Um, they don't have the physicality in their side to be able to do that. They've got one or two skillful players, Dario Zanata for one. Didn't quite make it at hearts, but I think he's he's better than a championship player. Um, the guy Matthews in the middle of the park and Tate, to me, look good young promising players. Uh, but I, I don't think it's up with a Stenhouse Muir, but it's obviously the first blip in Stephen Glass's reign as manager. It was his 13th game in charge. Something was going to happen, wasn't it? Absolutely. So um, just a, a quick word here on behalf of Pitori Physios, Andrew. They're asking if you can stop putting pins into the Jack Girdle that you made on Sunday afternoon. If they're going to put pins into them and have acupuncture, they'll do it themselves. Thanks very much. Um, what did you make of it, Dave? I will take a goal by Jet for sure, but little else to brighten the day. Yeah, I mean, can only echo what Andrew said. I mean, at half time, I th- the only thing was we should have scored more, and we hadn't put Jamie McDonald under too much pressure. But there was no way at the interval of thinking of the second half the way it was going to unfold. So it was a wake up call, I think, for for everybody connected with the club, and it just shows, you know, on paper it was a. A, win- a very winnable tie, but uh, you know we've seen throughout the years, and I would agree with Andrew. It's not up there with Queens Park, Stenhouse Muir, etc. But uh, Queen of the South. Um, but uh, not mentioning uh, all these, sir. Dave. They're bringing back horrible memories. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do the list. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but it was very, very disappointing. But I do think if we get decent results Thursday night and get ourselves into a you know, a position of keeping that tie alive for the second leg at Pataudry, then the fan gets through that to the uh, group stages, then the fans will forgive what hopefully is just a blip. Okay. Uh, I know it's all too easy to sit in the touchline and, and sort of throw grenades in there, but does this prove we can't make the wholesale changes for games? Six out in one week, three changes at half time, seven out the following week, changes slightly later in the game. Is the squad able to do that? Do you think Stephen might have to change the way he's thinking about doing things in that regard, Andrew? I think he probably will. But uh, to be fair to Stephen, I think he's he's juggling domestic games in Europe at the moment. We've gone further in Europe than we've done for 14 years, something like that. Um, And Europe is where you're going to get big money. In Aberdeen terms, that is. I mean, it's it's not the same as the thirty million that that Rangers missed out on by losing to Malmo last week. But if Aberdeen can get into the group stages, it probably generates about three million pounds in terms of of um, uh, UEFA money plus gate receipts. And who knows, you may progress further in the competition uh, than that. But uh, I think one of the the difficulties is that if you're a squad member who is not sort of part of the the first team, the, the starting 11, the strongest 11, where are you going to get minutes from? Because there's no reserve football or anything like that at the moment that, uh, you know, Dean Campbell, for example, can can go and play and to, to get minutes into his legs. Um, so I, I think Stephen has been trying to utilise his squad to the best of its abilities, but... When you get a bad result, the questions start getting thrown in his face. See if we'd won that game 3-0 on Sunday. 
nobody would have been even thinking about. They'd have just said, that's a really strong squad Aberdeen have got because they can they can chop and change. Um, so yeah. I, I think it's it's maybe early in the season to be throwing brick bats at him, but I'm sure, he, uh, put it this way, it's going to be a very different side that takes the field against Carabag. Whether it's a very different side from Thursday to Sunday's game against Hearts, I very much doubt. I don't think it'll be the same level of rotation for Pinecastle. Okay, and this one uh, proved doubly costly, as you mentioned earlier, a couple of injuries as well, uh, to Johnny Hayes and to Ryan Hedges, both ordinarily with the capacity to be hugely influential in any given match. It doesn't bode well as we fly out to Baku um, or for the Hearts game in the league the following weekend. How confident are you, Dave, that we can cope without these players? Um, well, they are two key players, there's no doubt about it. And with Matty Kennedy out of favour, who would be the obvious one to come into contention, say... There's going to have to be a change of shape, I would have thought. But if they, if both of them are out, and as far as confidence, I'm, I think the, the trip to uh, Baku will take care of itself. I must admit, the Hearts game on Sunday away, away at Tynecastle, which there's always a great atmosphere, as we as we know, that does worry me a wee bit because Hearts, like Aberdeen, are keen to get back to winning ways domestically after bowing out of the, the League Cup, and uh, you know the. Make no mistake, that would be a quite an energy-sapping return trip back from Baku. The good thing is, of course, that uh, in UK time, it's five o'clock kickoff as opposed to later in the evening, but it's still you know, not the best preparations, whereas Hearts have had the, a clear week to, to get you know, to get prepared for the game. So I, I honestly do think a point at Tynecastle wouldn't be the worst result in the world. Uh, and uh, and the, the Baku game will, will take care of itself, as you say. Speaking after the, the Wraith match, Stephen Glass was also asked about the upcoming European tie. We we have to bounce back on Thursday. We have to put in a performance because we know what it sets up. It sets up a big game at Petodre in two weeks' time. Uh, the aim at the start of the, the, the European thing was to get in the group stage. That continues to be the case. Battle disappointment today, but we've got a European game. We've got Hearts away Sunday, and then we've got the European night. So if we come out the end of that on the right side, we could be sitting with nine points out of nine in the league and sitting hopefully in the group stages as well. So as big a disappointment as it was today, we have to bounce back. They're, they're a traditionally big club. They've not got, I think as soon as you start talking about them, people are saying how many Brazilians have they got in their team. I think they've only got a couple. Uh, I don't know if it's a, a group that has lost people from being Champions League type teams and uh, the investment that goes on there but uh, it'll be a step up for them against us and it'll be a step up for us probably against them but it's one we'll be ready for uh, and we're going to put on a, hopefully a show over there on Thursday night and bring it back to Putaudry that's the end Here's a bit of that quote from Stephen post Wraith, Andrew and this is what I mean about my feeling that if the team can get through to the group stages of the Conference League and come home and even get a draw away to Hearts Dave mentioned it there I think the fans might might just be okay with it. Still on site, you know. So Stephen's quote is, in a couple of weeks' time, we want to be in a position where we've come through the European game, where we're in the group stages and have nine points out of nine in the league. That's an exciting prospect. And it just emphasises that we have to bounce back immediately. So a, a sort of shaping of the visualisation, if you like, that one's gone, we can't do anything about it. Let's readjust and focus on the next. I guess what I'm saying is there was always going to be a result in there, as you mentioned there, that didn't go our way. This is the first real test of how you come back from that. And do the management and the team have what it takes to meet that challenge, Andrew? I hope so. I definitely hope so, because say uh, there are a good number of winners, you would say, in that team, none more so than the captain. Uh, and I think he's going to have a big part to play. Uh, I'm quite sure that say. Uh, 
On that long seven-hour flight across to Baku from Aberdeen, I, that there will be a lot of discussion about Sunday's game and what needs to be changed in order that what Stephen was talking about there, you know, getting a positive result uh, and then going to, to Tynecastle and who knows, a victory there sees you top of the league. Um, I think there's, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, it's a, it's been a bump in the road, but I think it, it's there's enough characters in that side. Um, you know, Joe Lewis, very very experienced. He'll play his 500th club game against Carabag on Thursday night. Uh, you'll have Andrew Considine back, all the experience in the world. Declan Gallagher, massive experience. Scott Brown, you know, uh, guys like Lewis Ferguson, albeit a youngster. You know, he's got 130 games under his belt uh, for Aberdeen. Incidentally, Sunday was the first time that Fergie has ever come on as a substitute for Aberdeen. Really? Uh, the first time ever. Um, so uh, I think there's there's enough in that squad to suggest that um, we can bounce back. But it is the hallmark of a good side that when they get knocked back, they bounce. They, their bounce back ability is seen straight away. Derek McKenna's side's had it. Will Stephen Glass's side have it? I think they will. There's that term that I hate, bounce back ability. It's such a tabloid, such it a is, tabloid <laughs> word, that is it? It's almost bounce like back ability. super Cali Goalistic Celtic atrocious. <laughs> all one word. Bounce back ability, he's got them all today. <laughs> um, just a quick word on uh, on Joe Lewis there. You mentioned uh, his experience. Uh, last Thursday, I had um, the great vantage point, courtesy of the fact that I couldn't be at the tunnel. Uh, I was up in the gantry. And I, I noticed Joe out of his box and sort of dancing on the lid, as it were, but out of his box and running to the halfway line, far more vocal uh, now than he ever was as a captain. He was going absolutely bananas at people. Did you spot that at the time? Um, I, I think he, he probably has to shout a lot, an awful lot louder when there's 15,000 people in the ground, John. Well, um, there is that, yeah. Because you could hear Joe quite a bit in the in the deadly hush of um, you know, pandemic pedagogy. But yeah. uh, I, I think, you know, he's taken on board that um, he's got a bit of organising to do. Maybe Scott Brown does the, the, the midfield and forward third and, and, and Joe's making sure that the defence is on top of things. But I think there's a lot of captains out there on the side and, and that's, that's what Stephen Glass wants. He wants every single one of his players to be a leader. I mean, even a youngster like Calvin Ramsey or Jack McKenzie, um, he, he still wants them to be cajoling driving their teammates forward. So uh, it's it's not... There's one wears the armband, but 11 should all be doing their bit um, to make sure that the team as a whole gets over the line in whatever game they're playing in. And he's the man who scored for the Dons on Sunday. It's Jet. Yeah, well, obviously, obviously everybody's had a look to see what they're about. Um, I know for sure they've probably looked to see what we're about. Um, but obviously it's a matter of a, a home and away tie to see who can come out victorious obviously there's going to be a lot of preparation a lot of strategies from both sides and we're looking to to go the distance and make it to the group stage so we need to focus on what we're bringing to the table and what our strengths are and hopefully we can impact on them obviously first come we'd love to go there and and get the win and bring it home with the with the main advantage rather than just a draw that would be our first aim but obviously worst case scenario we'll only want to come home with a draw um, obviously losing isn't really on the agenda so we're looking to go there with the most positive mindset possible 
Losing isn't on the agenda, Dave. Positive chat on the, uh, the back of a negative result. Right thing from uh, from Jet there? Of course. has to be. I mean, uh, there's no point in not being confident going to a game like the Carabag game this, this week and uh, believing. If you don't believe that you can win, you're not, not going to win. So, no, it's, it's got to be full of confidence. And uh, well, the fans would, would accept if we came and said, well, we're actually we're going to get beat when we go out there. You know, so it's... Uh, it's the old adage, but a confident team is normally a winning team. And just a word or two on, on that Hearts game the following weekend. If you mentioned it a moment or two ago, Tynecastle always a tricky place to play, a very tight pitch, a crowd right on top of it. And my viewing of it, for as long as I remember, you spend as much time up in the air as a player crashing down uh, when playing against Hearts as you do it in your feet. I, I wonder about the likes of some of those younger boys that you just mentioned in this game. It will be a test, won't it? It will be a test because, uh, you know, the... They're just getting used to playing in front of crowds, um, you know, which is unusual in itself. But uh, the the atmosphere, as we know, at Tynecastle can be absolutely electric. It's a great place for a game of football, a great stadium for a game of football. But it will be a real test for the young guys. And uh, again, I don't think there'll be as many changes this time round like Andrew. Uh, but uh, it's important that the, the guys will be quite, you know, leg weary a wee bit from the Thursday night trip and travels but uh, it's important that we, we bounce back and get something out of that game and as I said earlier I think even a point wouldn't be I don't think Stephen Glass would be too upset at that Just a quick gut feeling take then on both those upcoming matches from both of you for the purposes of this I am going to assume that Ryan and Johnny don't make it because I, I don't think there's much chance either will so uh, first leg against uh, Carabag Andrew a bit of a shot in the dark I know but that's why you would be paid the big bucks in an ideal world situation uh, so what do you think for that one for the first leg? I think uh, a draw would be an excellent result for Aberdeen. Uh, even a single goal defeat wouldn't be the end of the world because bringing them to Pataudry, they've got to do the travelling, as we've mentioned, uh, and having that big Pataudry crowd behind them, it has inspired Aberdeen to, to some great football so far this season. Uh, I think not knowing an awful lot about Carabag, um I think it's it's a difficult one to predict, but having seen their results, as I said earlier, they don't score a lot, they don't concede a lot, so I think a single goal in it, and uh, if it goes Aberdeen's way, brilliant. If it doesn't, and it goes Carabag's way, I don't think the tie is dead. Uh, and Dave, you're taking the first leg of that tie. Yeah, I think the, the, the worst result that you want is a single goal defeat. You know, so without the away goals as well, it doesn't matter if it's 2-1, 1-0, 3-2. But, uh, you know, that keeps the tie alive, keeps, gives us the fans something to get pretty excited about when they come. But, you know, any more than that, and uh, Carabag could come to Pataudry, shut up shop and make it very, very difficult for us to break them down, which they will do anyway. But uh, now, worst worst case scenario, we're, we're one goal adrift. Um, a draw would be a, a cracking result as well. And obviously, if we managed to sneak a goal even better. Uh, next on the, the Hearts match on Sunday, Dave, I don't think any surprises are going to go with you first this time so you can say the word draw. Yeah, two two draws in the next two games will not be the worst. Andrew, on Hearts? Hearts have they're a strange team so far this season. Apparently, uh, against Celtic on Sunday, I was listening to it a wee bit in the car coming back up the road from Kirkcaldy and they were getting absolutely battered in the first half and, and I think the commentators were talking in terms of a cricket score being potentially the, the end scoreline of that match. It finished 3-2 to Celtic. So there's, there's a bit of fight about Hearts there. Um, 
I think they'll they'll make it extremely difficult for Aberdeen as they always do at Tynecastle. And, and I, I share Dave's thoughts that if we come away from there with a point, it will be a good point. Okay, and just before we leave uh, the men's first team uh, behind for just now, uh, breaking news as we, we sort of record this podcast on uh, Tuesday the 17th of August about Martin Boyle and uh, a potential bid for him coming to Pataudry. How do you think that one's going to end up, first of all? And a player that you'd welcome coming into the squad? Yeah, um, I like Martin Boyle. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's been really difficult for Aberdeen, uh, particularly the, the game was at last season, Andrew, when he, no, the season before, because uh, it was still crowds when he scored twice in the 3-0 win, I think, down at Easter Road. And, and he absolutely tore Aberdeen to ribbons that afternoon. So Martin Boyle... An informed Martin Boyle is a player that would be a, a great asset. Whether we'll get him, because Hibs certainly don't want to lose him. And Jack Ross has already said he's a key member of uh, the squad. So, no, he's Aberdonian, so it would be, you know, the, there's obviously an attraction there. But uh, it, yes, it would be, be great. But uh, whether it happens, you know, there's a lot of rumours go around at this time with only a couple of weeks yeah. to the end of the window. So we've just got to, got to wait and see. But uh, we'd certainly an asset. Till that window traditionally slams shut. Uh, Andrew, you're going to zone in and tell us that he's from which part of Aberdeen specifically? He's from he's from Northfield. Um, so as, as Dave said, Aberdeen born and bred. Uh, he's got lightning pace, but he's physically he's a strong player. He can play through the middle. He could play wide. He's a goal scorer. Um, he's a mercurial kind of talent. Sometimes you'll you'll see very little of Martin Boyle in a game, but then he'll pop up and do something special. I think if the Dons were to get him, it would add a a real potent attacking threat to the side because of his pace, if nothing else. And if you've got him breaking down uh, the wing, Christian Ramirez, uh, who's by his own admission, is not the fastest thing in two legs. He's no Usain Bolt but he's got a striker's instinct. He's between the sticks when the ball comes in into the box. They could be a, a really deadly partnership for Aberdeen. So I, I believe there's a, a clause in Martin Boyle's contract that if a bid over a certain amount is received from then they've got to take cognizance of that. It's not a case that they just throw it out straight away. Uh, so it's it will be a test of Aberdeen's buying power uh, willingness to go the extra yard to get a player and potentially, you know, with Europe, Europa Conference League group stage money coming in, they're maybe going to gamble a portion of, of that on Martin Boyle in the hope that, you know, having him in the building, even in time for the second leg, uh, may just swing things their way against Karabakh. Mm-hmm. Certainly a player that I would uh, enjoy coming to, to Pataudry. I, 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 Always well because it's an easier voice, an easier name for you to pronounce, certainly than, <laughs> than all that lot that you had on Thursday night. But just wait till you get the Carabag side. Well, listen, I, and unfortunately, due to other work commitments, I won't be in the building for the oh, Carabag game. So Gordon's going to going to have all of those to deal with, I'm afraid. And and listen, just going back to that Breedablet game for a second. Oh yeah, Johnny, there's nothing to worry about. They all end soon. Yeah, but every letter that goes before that was a bit of a struggle, I have to be honest. Uh, better news in, in Don shirts. Um, and for the longest time, most recently, that's meant being reliant on Emma Hunter's women's team. This weekend passed uh, a trip to Nether Craigs against Queen's Park in another SWPL Cup tie. A team they're, they're not unfamiliar with, having played them last year in league action. 
suppose it must be a little bit tough with the, the girls really kind of using this as a, a preseason in many ways before the upcoming test of the top tier of the league. But following on from that 2-1 victory over Boromir Thistle last time out, a 4-0 victory on the road with doubles for Eva Thompson and Bailey Hutchison. Tougher games coming up the next two with Motherwell and Rangers to come in the group. But every win helping confidence and every match uh, helping sharpness right now. Do you think we can take something from both those games, Dave? Absolutely. Um, we've got Motherwell at home on Sunday and then the Rangers game midweek after that. And they, they've started well, you know, and it's still the League Cup has been used a bit like preseason, as you mentioned, John. So, uh, but no, they're, you know, it's important that uh, the girls keep on winning. I'm sure they will. And they're in a good place in the, in the group. So, although it's maybe not the least, obviously, the priority, but if they can get through the group stages, which at the moment looks as though they've, they have a wee chance so uh, in Group A. So, uh, no, get through. I think they'll beat Motherwell. Rangers game will obviously be a step up again. But, uh, you know, it's that stage of the season where we see funny results. So, uh, let's hope we can get six points out of six and if we do that then uh, I think that's us through and, and the games in this in this league stage are coming in quite a nice way as well so you had the teams that we were familiar with first of all then Motherwell is that step up and as you say Rangers that step up again uh, just a word on, on uh, Barry Robson's under 18s Andrew I'll stay with you for this because if you heard episode one you'll know the reason that we recorded it so early on on Tuesday morning was because Andrew was hot footing it north to Brora to watch the 18s it's just black yeah, yeah, yeah. and a 1-0 win in the SPFL Trust Trophy against the Cataks a great result by all accounts Andrew Yes, it certainly was. I mean, a, a big turnaround from the last time I was up in Brora when we lost 6-0. And it was it was nice for a couple of the lads, Michael Ruth and uh, Luke Turner, who played in that horrible reversal, to be part of the winning side this time. Michael Ruth getting the goal. Uh, we actually created the better chances and, and could have won by more. Uh, we had to play the last half hour with only 10 men after young Finn Yates was ordered off. Uh, so, yeah, a, a terrific result for Barry's side. Uh, an unexpected result because, um, you know, knowing what Brewer are all about, um, you expected a, a physical tough game. That's what the boys got. But they, they stayed together as a team superbly throughout and ran out worthy winners. OK, well done. Let's move on to Cove Rangers and after a disappointing result away to Queen's Park and a red card for Fraser Fivey. A much better time back at Balmoral Stadium with a comprehensive 5-2 win over East Fife, including a hat-trick for Mitch Beginson and pushing Cove up to fourth, boss Paul Hartley. Yeah, it was just a change of shape with a wee bit of personnel where we had diamond in the middle of the pitch um, just to get a bit of an overload in there. So it was some really good play, some really good counter-attacking stuff, good speed about our play today, and we scored some great goals. It was a big part of our game as our full-backs getting forward and, and linking the play, and we managed to do that. Um, so that was a pleasing thing today, that we get into the good areas and we, you know, we put some terrific balls into the box. Players coming back into contention again, Dave, a little change of shape, as Paul mentioned there, and things automatically picking up. Yeah, they are, and, uh, you know, Jamie Masson coming back was a huge bonus. He almost scored as well. Um you know, Fraser Five is still to come back after his, his suspension. Ross Draper still out injured. So still, you know, a lot of tweaking to do. The one thing, of course, you know, was that the defending, you know, the, the two goals that we lost, one was, you know, pretty horrendous from a defensive perspective and the other was a penalty, which Harry Mills says it was six of one, half a dozen of the other, but uh, he gave the referee an easy decision to make and, uh, you know, the fans around around me were 
just what is Harry doing? Because he's brilliant in attacking sense, Harry, but defensive side probably is the one he needs to just uh, sharpen up a wee bit on. But uh, no, you know, to score five goals, I was speaking to Darren Young after the, the game and he was just really disappointed about the about the way they defended because the last half hour it was like a, a Sunday game, Sunday welfare game at Inverdee. It was a, a, so open. <laughs> Teams were, you know, one team would attack and almost score, then go the other end and the same would happen and we, we got goals. But the partnership between Mitch Meganson and Rory McAllister really, you know, showed, it paid dividends, obviously. McAllister with some fantastic knockdowns for, for Mitch and he took his hat-trick really, really well and uh, you know, it's a lot better place now that Coe are in than they were before that game because they are now, as you mentioned, up to fourth place and only three points off the top. Yeah, not so encouraging for Peter Head, unfortunately, Andrew. The wrong end of a 2-1 scoreline in their previous outing against Falkirk. Then at the weekend, a 1-0 loss to Montrose. Uh, manager Jim McAnally, the morning afterwards, his team hadn't been creative enough and Montrose were well worth their win. Uh, onwards to the next one at home to Airdrie, possibly a better chance of turning things around and moving up the table a bit, Andrew. Yes, I'm sure Jim will be looking for home advantage to, to swing it his way. Airdrie have been inconsistent at the start of the season. Uh, We've, we've said it before and I'm sure we'll see it many, many times uh, as the season goes on, but it's such a tight league, League One. Everybody capable of beating everybody else on on their particular day. And you look at you know the score lines, losing 2-1 at Falkirk, losing 1-0 at Montrose, very fine margins between a positive and a negative result. So uh, I don't think Jim, knowing the experience that he has in the game, Scotland's longest-serving manager, uh, you know, uh, he won't be too downhearted. But the fact that he's got Airdrie on grass back at at uh, Balmoor because they've played on artificial surfaces at Falkirk and Montrose, so it's back on a grass pitch at Balmoor. He'll be looking for great things this weekend. So uh, I, I think you know, it, it, after that good start against Alloa, it does look as though they've dipped a wee bit, but. It's not like they've been the wrong end of really bad score lines and and being beaten heavily. Uh, so I, I think um, there'll be, still be a fair bit of confidence in the Blue Toon camp. Yeah, in, in uh, classic Jim McAnally style, he said it's a, a very rare day for all of his creative players to have an off day all at once, but it happened on Saturday. Uh, of course, so far as all the, the Peter Head Cove and, and Don's action goes, as well as the, the Hound League and Juniors and anything else going on in, sports-wise in the North East, Dave and Andrew have it covered for you on Friday Sport. On Waves Radio, Friday evenings from 6 to 7 p.m. Now, on to Highland League, and after drawing attention to them last week for being on the wrong end of the first 10 0 of the season, at least I think it was the, the first 10 0. They're really safe to do that when it comes to the Highland League stat. But after being on the wrong end of a 10 0, you have to give Keith some credit for coming back with a 0 0 against Inverurie Locos to gain their first point of the season. Other scores of note, Brora's poor form continued, a 3-0 loss at home to Fermarty United. Bucky hammered five past Devon Vale. Huntley turned over Tariff United with a 4-0 victory at the Hawks. Uh, Huntley now in fourth, Brecon City third. Bucky on top, locked in 12 points for Fraserburgh, who took all three points in a five-goal thriller away to their county, the match ending 3-2 for the Brock. In the juniors, they have an interesting time coming up. Yeah, it is. It's a Scottish Junior Cup first-round action this weekend, but Last weekend, uh, Banks of D defeated Colony Park in the Super League by 11 goals to nil at Spain Park. And uh, I was chatting to Jamie Watt over the weekend. And of course, with the pyramid system, as we mentioned last week, now in operation, you know, Banks of D had the chance to apply for the Highland League before, but they turned it down. But uh, as, as Jamie was telling me, their, their chairman, uh, Brian Winton, 
always said that if the pyramid system was in place, then they'd be keen. So that is something they would like to to uh, to do is reach the Highland League via the pyramid. Um, but uh, as Jamie said, he, he hasn't a clue how it's going to work either. But he thinks we could play Goldsby. But he also made the point that there are other teams in the Super League that offer a say in whether Banks and D win it or not. But more importantly, I think from Banks and D's point of view, is say uh, although they get through comfortably on Saturday, they have a game at home to Inverurie Locos tomorrow night. Manager Los Inverurie Locos in the Aberdeenshire Cup. They've got Hart Hill Royal at home in the Scottish Junior Cup on Saturday. Um, and again, Spain Park being at home is such a huge advantage for them. And then in the Scottish Cup proper, they're away to Linlithgow Rose before the end of uh, the month. And uh, one player who we thought had retired was our, our friend Stuart Duff. Um, but Stuart's been persuaded to stay on this season. He's in the squad for Saturday's game uh, because it said rather than retiring when there's no football, um, retire on the back of winning something but again going back to the Scottish Junior Cup first round of the ties Montrose Rose Lee will not fancy their chances away to Ochelet Talbot uh, Bridget on Thistle at home to Lochie United uh, two of the teams that you would fancy going a distance from lo the local area Cooter and Hermes unfortunately were drawn together they play at uh, Cromie Park the one I'll be going along to is Dice against Buckinghaven Hearts out at Ian Mayer Park um, and they uh, Look, going right down, there's some new names. Stonehaven at home to Syngenta, whoever they are. Um, I'll find out before the weekend. And uh, Rothy Rovers, who are doing very well in League Two up here, they're at home to Colsyth Rangers, a junior team with uh, a great, great pedigree throughout the year. So, yeah, with some massive score lines, I'm sure. Forrestus against Tayport is another one that catches the eye, as does, say, uh, Lockheed United, I mentioned that. The Burkhead Thistle against our Drossen Winton Rovers and Sunnybank finally there away to Carluke Rovers. So lots of travelling around Scotland, the length and breadth of Scotland at the weekend for Scottish Junior Cup first round action when there's hundreds of ties. And uh, I'm sure the more teams we get through, the better, but I'm sure it'll be a usual mixed bag come the end of Saturday afternoon. Aye, they'll, they'll be dancing in the streets of Rothy Norman of Rothy Rovers beat <laughs> Rangers, I'll tell you. I think that's one of the colour swatches my wife got for the for the living room, St. Jenta, but I, I could be wrong. Uh, just briefly, with the, the Olympic Flames flickering on a slightly shorter three-year journey this time, making its way to Paris, the superhumans are getting ready to take centre stage in Tokyo as the Paralympics gets underway. Representing Team GB once more in track cycling, Aberdeen's Neil Fahey, now aged 37, and following gold in 2012, and then his own words, following that up with failing in Rio in 2016 when he bagged a silver. As he turns to Tokyo, is there any thought in his mind of this being his last games. Pre-COVID, I was probably going to call it a day after Tokyo, but I think that has very much changed because, as I say, I've got that love back. Uh, you postpone a year and it takes us much closer to, to other things as well. So we've got the Tokyo Games in 2021, Commonwealth Games in Birmingham in 2022, and I love competing for Scotland. And uh, so far, I've had a great deal of success in the Commonwealth Games, and I'd love to do that again. So I'm probably going to stick around for that. Then 2023, we've got a World Championships in Glasgow, which is going to be the first time the World Champs have been combined with the able-bodied events as well, which is, is really cool. And the fact that's in my home country is, is of course, a, a real draw. So I'm probably going to stick around for that. And then we've got one more year to the next Paralympic Games in Paris, which, again, 
you know, if you're that close, you might as well do it, didn't you? So I don't know. I mean, the interesting thing with sport is someone can come along, knock you off and, and you're done. So, you know, I'm, I'm never going to say I'm, I'm going to be around, but at this point I, I have no plans to stop, even though I am definitely getting on a bit, John. Now, where, where, when you say that, that you're what, 37? 37, yeah. 37. But then, you know, that desire to push, I, I saw, I think on LinkedIn the other day, you were saying you were lifting now in terms of weights more than you ever have. You're still pushing and trying to get better and better and better. Yeah, I think it would be a shame to stop before you're at your best as well. That would, if I felt like I'd left something on the table, I'd be disappointed. So the fact I'm still improving means I almost need to keep going just to see yeah. where that final point is in performance. And, and yeah, I'm, uh, I've, I've had a few personal bests this year. It's been, uh, it's been a good season. And like I say, I've got plans to break records and I, I almost want to set records that are out of reach at least for a year or two before sport gets to that point and, and takes them again. So I kind of need to keep going quicker if I want to hold on to these. And in the week he races for gold once more, we'll have more from Neil next week on his current form heading into those Paralympics. Uh, both clips come from an upcoming podcast Neil and myself have recorded called the 1% Club Podcast, where we investigate what it takes to be a world champion, a game-changing musician, a top actor, a best-selling author, and more. In episode one, I interview Neil on his career and prospects for the Games, and then in our following episodes, Neil joins me on my side of the desk to ask the questions of all our other guests. It's called the 1% Club Podcast. Episodes one, two, and three are out this coming Monday, August 23rd, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As I say, hosted by Neil Fahey, MBE, and John Ellis, DJ, just because I didn't want to feel left out in the letters after your name criteria. And that is pretty much it for episode two of Petaudry PS. We aim to publish every week on a Tuesday if we can, always looking back to the Don's previous fixtures and ahead to the next. Please remember to follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review us, tell us what you think of the show too. We'd appreciate it. We think. If it's going to be rubbish, then it bother. Thanks for checking out Petaudry PS. We'll see you next time.